Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you have spoken. God, on this Father's Day, we are reminded that you are our Father, our Heavenly Father. I pray that you would meet each one of us this morning where we're at. We all have, um, we all have joyful memories and connections or deep wounds um, connected to our earthly fathers. So Lord, I pray that you would meet each one of us where we're at this morning and lead us to where you desire us to be in your good presence, your good heavenly Father presence, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We thank you for speaking. God, as we look at your word, I pray that it would stir in us faith, a supernatural faith that produces supernatural fruit. Pray that you would have your way in us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, good morning and welcome to Park Community Church. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here, and Ben and the worship team, and thank you guys for leading us and for, I, I heard another pastor recently say, sometimes you just have to command your soul to sing praise to the Lord. And sometimes you don't necessarily feel, feel like praising the Lord, right? Any of you been there? And that last song that they did, I, I just, man, that commanded my soul to praise the Lord. And so thank you for leading us in that and helping us to worship our glorious God. It's so great to be together as a church family, and that was not my introduction, but I just felt that as we sang, that, that sometimes it's good to be commanded to sing, that we actually have to direct our soul and tell our soul what is true and what is right. And so this morning, as we look at God's Word, I actually have a little bit of a conflict in my own spirit with God's Word because it's a little bit uncomfortable what I have to preach through the next couple weeks because it, it, it shows a side of faith in Jesus that makes me a little bit uncomfortable and that I'm not used to, but I need to command my soul to dig into God's Word, and so that's what we are going to do together here this morning. All right, let's get started. What you believe determines how you live, right? What you believe determines how you live. That's why my daughter Oakley, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter Oakley, wears a swimsuit every day, regardless of where we go if we can go to the park, we can go to the store, coming to church. Thankfully, my wife didn't let her wear her swimsuit to church today, but this is the only place where we won't let her wear her swimsuit. Right now, it doesn't matter the temperature, doesn't matter the destination. She wants to wear her swimsuit every day. And she does this because she has this deep belief that her swimsuit is more comfortable and it's cuter than her clothes. And she's not wrong on that. She's right on both accounts. She also believes that a sprinkler party might break out anywhere that she goes. <laughs> If you're not familiar with the sprinkler party, it's where you put the sprinkler out and you run through it. And so she has these beliefs. My swimsuit is more comfortable, it's more cute, and you never know, wherever I go, there may be a sprinkler with kids running through it, and I want to be ready for that moment. She's two and a half, but she has some pretty well-formed beliefs that dictate and determine her actions. By contrast, I don't wear a swimsuit everywhere that I go. <laughs> and I don't do this because I have some pretty firm beliefs. I want to have friends and I want to keep my job. <laughs> and the people that I normally run with, they don't break out in sprinkler parties at a moment's notice. See, regardless of what it is, whether it's a, a funny little small example like that or something big and meaningful, the fruit of our actions can be traced back to the root of our beliefs. The fruit of our actions can be traced back to the root of our beliefs. And over the next two weeks, as we look at Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, we're going to see that our experience of the supernatural power of Jesus Christ 
is largely determined by the root of our belief in his supernatural power. Our experience of the supernatural power of Jesus is largely determined by our belief in his supernatural power. Here's the big idea for the next two weeks. Faith in Jesus is the supernatural root that produces supernatural fruit. This is what we're going to see through these next two chapters, that the Christian life, a life of following Jesus, Matthew, the book of Matthew is all about apprenticing Jesus and following Jesus and, and, and living your life in his culture rather than the culture of the world. And, and so Matthew is giving us this book to help us understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. And here in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, he gives us this incredible display of faith and what faith produces. All of the Christian life is supernatural. Faith is supernatural. Faith is a supernatural gift of God. And then the results of faith are supernatural as well. And so we're going to look into Matthew 8 and 9 over the next two weeks and, and discover some of the fruit that comes from the supernatural gift and root of faith. But before we get into Matthew chapter 8, I want to do a little definition of faith with us this morning. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11 chapter 1 Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So God's word tells us what, what faith is. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Based off of that definition, all people everywhere, regardless of their spiritual beliefs or their religion, live by faith, right? Our lives are lived by faith. You go to work, you do your job, with faith that you will get paid after your two-week pay period or your month-long pay period, right? You actually go to work in faith. Most of us get paid after we do our job, not before we do our job. So even the simple fact of going to work tomorrow, putting in your hours, you are doing that in faith that you will get the paycheck that you've earned. It, when you sat down this morning on the pew in front of you, or underneath you, excuse me, <laughs> you probably didn't like touch it to make sure it was firm, right? You just sat down. When, when you hop in your car and head home after church, you're not going to check the brake lines to make sure somebody didn't clip them during the service. Maybe you will now that I mention that. <laughs> but typically you don't. You hop in and you drive where you're going because you have faith that those brakes are going to work, that your car is going to stop when you hit the brake pedal. See, life requires faith. All people live by faith, but few people live by faith in God. So specifically in a Christian context, in the book of Matthew, Matthew is unfolding for us what it looks like to have faith in God. Faith in God is different than just faith to get through life. Faith in God is believing who God is and what he does. It's trusting who he is and what he does. It's specifically applying this verse, this definition from Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. It's applying that to the things of God. The Christian life is a supernatural life of faith, believing in who God is, what he has said, what he does, what he has promised, what he will do. That is faith. Where does faith come from? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us that, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So faith is a gift of God. It's not something you can muster up. It's not something that you can will yourself into. It is a gift from God. How do we get this gift then? 
I mean, I, I hope when I say faith is a gift from God, all of us are saying, I want that gift. I want more of that gift. I want to trust God. I want to apply Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want to apply that to my relationship with God and to, to my experience of the supernatural. Where does that come from? That comes from God, and so we should be sitting here saying, God, give me more of that gift. I want more of that gift. And we should ask, how do we go about getting that gift? And God's word answers that for us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith is trusting who God is and what he does. It's a gift granted by him to us. And how do we get that gift? By hearing the word of Christ. By hearing God. That's exactly what is happening here in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8 and 9. If you remember, for the last couple months, we've been in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We've spent months looking at Jesus' teaching. So in the story of Matthew, we're actually seeing this, this faith come alive that Jesus has spent time talking. He has spent time speaking. He has he has unpacked the culture, the truth, the word of God among his hearers. And as Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So in a very practical, real sense, these followers of Jesus have just heard the word of God through the mouth of Jesus and it's stirring in them faith. This supernatural gift from God of faith is, is being granted to these followers that are mentioned in Matthew. I mean, if you look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So there's this great crowd of people following Jesus. They had just heard Jesus' teaching, and his teaching is starting to stir faith in some of the crowd. Last week we talked about there's a difference between the crowd and the core, and not everyone who's in this crowd becomes a core member of Jesus' followers, but those who are hearing the word of God and receiving it as a gift, faith is producing something in them that they could never produce on their own. And so what we're going to do now in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is we're going to walk through um, faith. We're going to see what faith produces, I think in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we see this incredible fruit from faith. We, th we see the supernatural results, the supernatural fruit that's produced by the supernatural root of faith. Again, we can always trace our actions and the fruit of our life back to the root. You don't wear a swimsuit every day. You trace that back to the root because you believe that there's a reason to not wear a swimsuit every day, unlike my daughter Oakley. It doesn't matter what you do. You drive the speed limit because you believe you should obey the governing authorities. Trace that back to the root. You have this belief that you should submit to and believe the governing authorities. You don't drive the speed limit. You trace that back to the root that the governing authorities don't really know the best speed for this road anyway because they're sitting in an office and I'm driving here, right? So it doesn't matter what it is. You trace your actions, any action, you trace it back to the root. And that's where fruit comes from, this core, this root. And so we are going to go through Matthew 8 and 9 and see what the fruit is of faith. Keep in mind that the root is faith. And faith is a gift from God. And, and this gift comes from hearing God's word. 
So my prayer for us over the coming weeks and even every week as we gather and when you scatter into community groups and when you do your own devotional Bible reading, that's why I encourage you to do Bible reading because when you hear the word of God, it produces supernatural faith in you. It grows the supernatural root of faith that produces fruit in your life that you could never produce on your own. So Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we're going to see this incredible supernatural fruit from God. Keep in mind that it's all traced back to the root. There's 14 fruits of faith that I see in these two chapters. So we're going to get a healthy dose of fruits and vegetables today. You won't have to eat fruits and vegetables for the whole week. All right, what are you supposed to have, about five a day? Is it like three to five a day? Servings of fruits and vegetables, something like that? We're going to do, I think we're going to get through seven of these today, and then we'll do seven next week. We're not going to try and do all 14 today, but as we walk through Matthew 8 and 9, I see 14 fruits that are produced by faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus does. The first one is cleansing from spiritual and physical disease. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this one because this was the entire point of the sermon from last week. If you're visiting this week, you weren't here last week, or if you just missed last week, I encourage you to go onto our website and listen to the sermon from last week. I spent last week just in these first couple verses of Matthew chapter 8 unpacking what it means to be cleansed by Jesus. So in a way of reminder and kind of fitting that passage into this flow of Matthew chapter 8 and 9, I just want to remind us that a fruit of our faith is cleansing that Jesus cleanses his followers, those who have received the supernatural gift of faith through hearing the word of God, he cleanses them. A leper, a diseased, a dirty man who's, who's both physically diseased and spiritually cut off. He comes to Jesus, bends his knee in submission, says, Lord, if it be your will, if you will, would you cleanse me? He believes that Jesus can cleanse him. Jesus stretches out, touches his hand, and pronounces, I will be clean. Regardless of who you are this morning, what you've done, how your soul feels, maybe, maybe you have a physical disease in your body or a spiritual disease, press into the root of faith and trust that as you lean into Jesus and as he stretches out his hand to you, he touches you and says, be clean. A fruit of faith in Jesus is cleansing for our souls, for our bodies, for our minds. It's purity. Jesus came to set you free from the guilt and the shame and the dirt and the disease that can otherwise handicap you. Second one is belief in the healing power of Jesus. Now we're going to move into the next section here. So Jesus, he, he comes down from the mountain, giving the Sermon on the Mount, he first cleanses the leper, and then picking up in verse 5, it says, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion, a centurion is a, a Roman general who has a hundred soldiers underneath his, underneath his command. So this Roman soldier comes to Jesus, he's heard the word about who Jesus is and, and what kind of miraculous things Jesus is doing, and this Roman soldier, a, a Gentile, not a Jew, a Gentile, not one of Yahweh's people, not a chosen person in the kingdom of God, not, a not from a tribe of Israel, but a pagan, a Gentile, a Roman. And when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. This is like 
somebody who's outside of the church, outside of the religious circle, somebody who, who has no idea of the customs and the forms of the church. But he's heard that there's this, there's this person walking around our region who is healing people, and he's speaking with power. And so this centurion comes and he says, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Look at Jesus' heart for the outsider right there. This Gentile outsider, Roman soldier, commanding a hundred Roman soldiers. Jesus says, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. He's respecting the, the Jewish and the Gentile practices, saying that, that in Jewish culture, a, a, a Jew can't come into the home of a Gentile and, and be, and be um, cared for by them. And so he's saying, You're, I'm not worthy. Also, I've heard this great teaching. You seem to be the set-apart rabbi. You are a teacher in the Jewish religion. I'm not worthy to have you come stay at my home. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. Do you see the fruit of faith there? Belief. He had this incredible belief in Jesus' power. He had heard these stories. He had heard what Jesus was doing. Maybe he had heard some of Jesus' teaching. And this, this resulted in him having a growing root of faith, which produced the fruit of belief. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Isn't that incredible? Faith produces belief in the healing power of Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus has all power and authority to heal? Whether he does or not is, is his thing, right? I mean, like the leopard said in verse 2, if you will. God has this will, he sees this whole big picture, he's, he's the sovereign, he knows all things, he knows what's good for us, even if it contradicts with what we think is good for us. And so we can't assume that just because Jesus seems to heal everyone that he comes in contact here in Matthew, that he's going to heal everyone and every disease around us. But the question is, do we even believe in the healing power of Jesus? Or have we convinced ourselves out of his healing power? And I wrestle with this because it's all over the book of Matthew. And kind of the supernatural fruit of faith that would lead to healing makes me nervous because I've seen people abused by saying, if you have more faith, you would be healed. So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that faith, that the root of faith always produces the fruit of healing. What I want us to notice here is that it produces belief in the healing power of Jesus. And I think we need to stop and say, do I even believe some of you do, you have no problem with it. Others of us, we have become so westernized. There's a pill for everything. There's an operation for everything. There's, there's something for everything. And so we need to pause and say, do we even believe in the healing power of Jesus? Because it's all over in the scriptures. The centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed belief. 
third fruit that I see here is adoption into the family of God. So the story goes on. He says, only say the word, my servant will be healed. Verse 9, he says, for I too am a man under authority. So he's a centurion. He has soldiers underneath him, as he says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. So he is underneath the Roman rule. He is underneath the emperor. He has an authority, the emperor, and the emperor has given him authority over his soldiers. And he says, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, so again, there's this crowd following Jesus, listening to his teaching, observing his miracles, and he says, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So now he's comparing this, this Gentile pagan who's, who's not supposed to believe in the power of God and the power of Jesus to the people of Israel, God's chosen people who are supposed to believe in the power of God and the coming Messiah. And he says, in all of Israel, all of God's chosen people, my chosen nation, I have not found faith like this Gentile, like this pagan, like this outsider. I tell you, many of you will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What he's doing here is saying that there's, there's this great adoption of Gentiles. Those who in the Old Testament weren't chosen by God are now being chosen by God. They are being given the gift of faith. Faith produces adoption into the family of God. The vast majority of us here this morning are Gentiles. We are not ethnic or spiritual. We, we are not Jews. We did not come from Israel. And, and here Jesus is saying that many of you will be included. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the patriarchs of the Jewish faith of Israel in the kingdom of heaven. This inclusion. We can call God Father, Abba, Daddy, we are adopted as his sons and daughters through faith. See the link there? Jesus says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Faith is the root that produces the fruit of being adopted into God's family. He says, you will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is the ultimate feast, the feast that goes on forever and ever. This is a feast that when we take communion, Communion is supposed to point us forward to this feast that we will recline at table with Jesus and with the patriarchs of old and, and those loved ones who have gone before us in Christ. There will be this feast that we are a part of. And then he contrasts it. He says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. saying just because there's, there's Jews or, or Israelites doesn't mean any longer that they're in. The way to be in the family of God is through faith, and we are adopted into his family. He's saying ethnic, ethnic Jews no longer are considered sons and daughters of God apart from faith. Faith is the, faith is the root that produces the fruit of inclusion into God's family, that adopts us into God's family. And by contrast, he says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That without faith, the eternal damnation exists. 
that without faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, our destination is separation from God for all of eternity in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's drilling down to his followers. Faith gets you in. No faith keeps you out. Faith adopts you into the family of God and you will be with him and your brothers and sisters for all of eternity. Or if you don't have faith in who Jesus is and, and what Jesus has done, and remember, faith is a gift. You can't muster it up. You, can, you get it from hearing the word of God and submitting yourself to the word of God and God just granting you the gift. And so we should be in desperation saying, God, give us this gift as we hear your word. Adoption into God's family is a fruit that comes from faith. Fourth, healing from disease and demons. Now, again, as I go into this, this doesn't always mean physical healing, and there's plenty of examples in Scripture that we can go to and say that, that God doesn't always heal, and that if there hasn't been instantaneous healing of a physical ailment, that there's not enough faith and you need to muster up more faith. But it is alarming to me. And in fact, that's the way that I generally lean. Full disclosure, I generally lean that, well, God's probably not going to heal you of your ailment. He's probably going to use your ailment to teach you something about himself. That's my experience. That, that's, um, and, and that's kind of what I believe. But beliefs are hard, right? How do you identify it? And as I read through Matthew, I'm just struck with how often and how consistently Jesus heals people. And I, I want that. There's, there's a side of me that's afraid to say I want that because, well, if he doesn't heal somebody from cancer or heal somebody from a broken back or heal somebody from whatever it is, then, then what's wrong? Is, it, you know, is that person's faith small and weak? Do they not have enough faith and that's why they're not getting the fruit of healing? And I don't understand how all of that works. I'm not making a declaration about faith and healing this morning other than the observation that a fruit of faith is healing from disease and demons as we look at Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Look at verse 13. And the centurion, into the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed, as you have had faith. The Greek word there for believed is the same word as faith. Go, let it be done for you as you have believed, as you have exercised faith. The fruit of faith is that his servant is healed from a distance. So point number two, fruit number two, was do we even believe that Jesus heals? Fruit number four is that the, the fruit that he actually heals. That he actually heals. And there's testimonies among our church family of God healing physical disease and ailment. We don't have any, have any queued up for you this morning, but as you get into a relationship and as you talk with people, you will hear testimony of God healing. This is a fruit of faith that Jesus actually heals. Again, I'm not going to make a, a declarative statement on that this morning other than the observation that a fruit of faith is that Jesus heals. He heals disease. And then let's carry on. Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. There's a couple observations there. Peter was married. He was married and his marriage did not hinder him in the kingdom of God. Oftentimes people will say, well, if you get married, it's going to distract you from mission. It's going to, it's going to deter you from being fully sold out and devoted to God. Peter was, was an apostle, a disciple. He was, he was 
extremely important to the advancement of the church. And here we notice that he's married and that he was spending time with his mother-in-law. Husbands, spend time with your mother-in-law. And his mother-in-law was sick with a fever. Verse 15, Jesus touched her hand and the fever left. He's healing from disease. And here in this passage, we don't even see any faith exercised. Right? I mean, it says nothing about Peter's mother-in-law having a great amount of faith in Jesus. We don't even know if this fever had her, her mental capacity so, she was so incapable of thinking clearly and soundly. We don't know. You know how that is when you have a fever, when you have a headache, when you're sick, you don't think right, you don't think clearly. Can you even really exercise faith in that state? We don't know. So we don't know if her being healed was a fruit of her faith or if it was a fruit of Peter's faith to get Jesus into the home. Also notice with the centurion and the servant, Jesus actually healed the servant on the centurion's faith. So it seems like we can apply faith on behalf of others. And and here with Peter's mother-in-law, we don't know. Just keep in mind that, that we see no link here to this healing and her faith. We see a link here to Jesus' heart to heal people who are sick and diseased and hurting and broken. Comes into the house. He loves Peter, his disciple. Because he loves Peter, his disciple, he cares about Peter's family and what Peter cares about. And Peter, probably like a good husband, loves his mother-in-law. And so by extension, Jesus loves her and, and he heals her because he cares. So he heals the disease. Let's keep going. He touched her, and the fever left, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Faith comes from hearing. He's speaking a word. In that speaking, people are believing, and they're seeing incredible things done. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah who, took, who, who said, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, he took our illness and bore our diseases. So this actually is, is less, I think it's less about these specific miracles here. And I think Matthew pulls in this Isaiah passage to show us and to remind us and to root us in Jesus' healing activity was more about proving his messianic authority than it was about that he wants everyone to be happy, healthy all the time. Okay, so Matthew, he's, he's clearly capturing all of these miraculous healings, all of these stories, demons being cast out, people being healed, but he quotes Isaiah 53, I think, to show us that Jesus has this unique messianic authority, that Jesus is the one who has prophesied, that this man walking among you who just gave you this authoritative teaching and now he's doing these authoritative miracles among you, he is the one that was prophesied of in times of old. And so Matthew's trying to shine a spotlight onto that with quoting Isaiah. But the reality remains, a fruit from their faith is healing. From disease, from demon oppression, demon possession, Keep that in mind. If any of you are dealing with any demonic activity or oppression, there's healing. Where? In the name of Jesus. The fourth, fifth thing 
uh, fruit from faith that I see here is serving, serving Jesus. Look at what Peter's mother-in-law does. And when, Peter ent- when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw that his mother-in-law was laying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Look at the fruit of faith. Faith is, is causing all of this healing, all of this work to be done, the gift of God. He's giving faith to these people, and, and the fruit of that is all of this healing. And then Peter's mother-in-law gets up from her fever, and what does she do? She serves Jesus. When we're touched by Jesus, when we're cleansed by Jesus, when, when our faith is fanned into flames, it should result in us serving him. Whatever that looks like for you, we all serve differently. We've all been wired differently. We've all been, been given different gifts and passions and joys. Some of you playing music on a Sunday morning for the gathered body would not be a way to serve. It wouldn't give you joy and it wouldn't give anyone listening joy. <laughs> Sometimes we joke, ben, ben can preach really well. And uh, so we joke about switching sometimes, like me leading music and, and Ben preaching. Well, if I was to lead music, it would not be serving Jesus. It would send all of us screaming for the hills. And so when we serve, when, when, when the gift of faith is produced in us and it begins to bear fruit, some of that fruit is serving. How has God wired you? We don't know exactly what Peter's mother-in-law did. It doesn't say that she got up and she helped the poor, that she got up and sang a song, that, that, that she administered a new ministry, that she made a meal. We don't know what she did. She got up and began to serve Jesus. What does it look like for you to serve, and are you serving? That's a gauge of if faith is being fanned into flame. Are you a type of person who God has wired to to serve by using administrative gifts to help others, to take away confusion and, and a lack of clarity for them? Are you the type of person who, who serves by being there for people when they are sick and hurting, by their bedside praying for them? Are you the type of person who serves by leading in music? Are you the type of person who serves by opening up your home all the time and any time that somebody wants to get together? Remember, you're serving Jesus by serving his body. Faith produces a heart that serves Jesus. The sixth, sixth thing as we continue on here is commitment that overrides comfort. And so Jesus, Matthew, kind of moves, he, he pauses on all this healing talk for a moment and talks about commitment. He talks about what it means to follow Jesus. So remember, throughout the book of Matthew, he's comparing the crowds and the core, and he's whittling from the crowd down to the core. And here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, we see what it looks like to be part of the core member of Jesus' team, to be a follower of Jesus, not just a fan of Jesus. It says, now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, all these crowds, everybody wanting healing, everybody wanting help from him, he gave orders to go to the other side, and a scribe came up to him and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes Foxes have holes and birds, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of these disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, this is radical, what? He says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Doesn't that seem harsh? And I don't think Jesus is being harsh. What he's trying to communicate to us is that 
if we are to move from the crowd into the core, that a fruit of faith is that we are more committed to him and his mission, that we have zeal for his mission rather than our own cultural comforts and norms. See, he, he points out to the first person who comes to him, he says, if you're going to follow me, that may cause you to be homeless. That may, that may mean that you can't count on going home. That, that I, Jesus, I'm living, I'm going from town to town, I'm, I'm a guest in people's home, I am dependent on others to provide for our needs. Foxes have holes, even, even created beings, foxes have holes that they live in, and birds of the air, they, they build nests. But Jesus, the Son of Man, has no home. And so if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to give all of that up. A fruit of faith is commitment to Jesus, more so than comfort of your own cultural norms. In our society, it's normal to have a job and to have a home and to go home and lay your head down in that home and there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, Matthew had a home. Peter. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, remember that, verse 14? So Peter was a radical, sold-out disciple, follower, apprentice of Jesus, and yet he had a home where his mother-in-law could lay sick. Mother-in-law suite. But keep in mind here, Jesus is continuing to push his people that if you're going to follow me, your commitment to my mission overrides the comfort to building your own kingdom. And then he pushes the second guy. He says, I, I, I want to follow you. Can I go home and bury my father? And Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And there's some cultural nuance to this that Jesus is just trying to help them understand that, that you leave everything to go and follow Jesus. He's not, he's, not respecting, he's not disrespecting the dead father here. I mean, if we read it just in a snippet there, that's kind of how it seems. But if we do cultural study around their time and what this means and what Jesus is getting at, he's not disrespecting the dead father. He's saying that your commitment level to my kingdom has to override your comforts, your cultural norms. So he calls us to come and follow him. And then lastly, the seventh fruit in here from faith is in this next section, verse 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the waves, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Jesus is doing these miraculous things among them. They're, they're beginning to see who Jesus is, and, and they're developing the supernatural root that is producing supernatural fruit. But even in the midst of this, they're wishy-washy, right? That's good news for us. Amen? And they've just seen all of these incredible miracles being done, and here they are in a boat with Jesus, and there's a storm, and they are afraid, and they do the right thing when they're afraid. They run to Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. I love Jesus' response. Why are you afraid, oh, you have little faith? There's room at the table for you, along with Peter and James and John and Matthew and Andrew and all these disciples. There's, rooms, there's room at the table for you. And as we continue to look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and look at his word, I pray that it would stir in us faith. 
that it would grow in us a root of faith that would produce all of these fruits, and this one, calm. Calm in the midst of storms. What storms are you in the midst of right now in your life? What fears do you have? What anxieties are you wrestling with? Church, be reminded this morning of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and that he would come to you and say, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Hear the word of God. As you hear the word of God, faith will be produced and you will be okay. And I, God, your Father, who loves you and who has done everything for you, I will give you calm in the midst of your storm. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, these are incredible examples of the type of fruit that faith produces. And Lord, I am just aware of and reminded that we can't produce faith on our own. That I can't produce faith by preaching your word, but only your word can come alive and produce faith in us. And so I ask, Lord, that you would do a supernatural work in us this day and this week. I I ask that you would produce the supernatural root of faith in each one of us. And as a byproduct, we would receive the supernatural fruit of cleansing, of healing, of, of all of these things that we walk through, of calm. God, may you do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine in us, for us, and through us. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. Amen.